Struggling to find the part you needed yesterday? With a massive range of 1 million in-stock SKUs available, QuoteBeam just made your part search a whole lot easier. Faster checkout, tailored suggestions, and top-notch customer service. QuoteBeam's got it all. Visit QuoteBeam.com to learn why thousands of professionals like you are using QuoteBeam to simplify their parts procurement process. So, uh, yes, welcome to Automation Ladies. Thank you so much for joining us, Shoma. It was a pleasure to meet you very briefly. I wish yes. it had been longer in Florida at the AC3 Forum. Um, and we've been uh, interacting with each other on LinkedIn for a while now. And so yeah. we really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Awesome. I've been really excited in joining Automation Ladies. You guys are just wonderful with what you're doing for the kids, with the changes you're bringing into place, you know. Uh, so Thank you. I love it. We're trying our trying our best to, to do some stuff, um, have some impact. But I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, start by asking our first and only standard question, which is, can you give us a little intro of yourself and tell us the story of how you got to be doing what you're doing today um, in automation with STEM divas, all that stuff? <laughs> awesome. That's a good question. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was born in Nigeria, um, came over to the United States to go to school um, then for my higher education. Uh, along the way, you know, the U.S. became home for me. Um, then I was starting electrical engineering, got into software engineering by chance because I happened to be in school at that time that they were bringing software in there and I was interested. So I maintained with my hardware and software space. Eventually, I got into uh, working um, in building automated test systems. So that's how I got into automation. Okay. Um, but eventually, I was noticing <laughs> that I'm always the only, the only, and most of the time, there's a, a lot of misconception about what a woman is supposed to be or how we're supposed to behave, especially with tech women. And so I, I, I thought in my head that maybe if I create a pipeline that we can bring in more girls that maybe then I don't have to be representing all the time, or they can see a variety of that we, you know, we women we're we're not a monolith, and that we no. can be all kinds of things while still being great at engineering. And so I decided to form Steam Divas. And Steam Divas is unique in the sense that we are not just doing STEM; we're doing a fusion of arts, and we do this because we want to be able to bring in girls who typically don't see themselves as a STEM person, but we okay. want them to know that you can still do STEM, uh, even though your, your love is something artistic. And in the, and also, you know, when you come in with that concept, you can either take STEM to art or art to STEM. We don't care as long as you're, you know, understanding that you're able to do the things that we think you can do. Okay. So probably a lot of other follow-up questions that are more important, but STEM versus STEAM, because I've seen that. I've, pe I've seen people add the A in there, like the arts goes in. I'm, I've just always been compu confused by that. Yeah. Like, don't the arts have their own thing? And why does, it, it stands for, STEM stands for what? Science, technology, engineering, and math, right? Yes. Okay. And then you add art in there. Yes. Is that, I guess, just to represent the idea that they all belong together or these acronyms confuse me a little bit? And I mean, why would we call it STEM or STEAM? Does it matter? What are your thoughts on, on that? 
Oh, well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm a strong advocate for STEAM. I truly believe in everything that is balanced, and I don't believe that we should be extreme of anything. We should just, yeah. we all ex- ex- exist on the spectrum, right? And so when it comes to what we build, there is an artistic influence. So when people talk about arts, they're always thinking about drawing of music. Well, art also covers humanities that allows us to be able to think about people on the other side. And arts is one of those places, unlike STEM areas, where you're given freedom to to think outside the box, to do things differently. And so in this environment, we are coming into places where we're being as innovative as possible, but we, we get put in a box and get forced to do things like this is logical steps and following this way. And so by including the arts, artistic, creative side of things, it gives us the boldness to be able to think outside the box when we're doing our innovations and experiments and solutions that we're bringing in. And then art also allows for people to be able to connect to the emotional side of things. A lot of people create devices that they can't sell. You know, yeah. and then you see them struggling to be able to take those devices from their from the labs into the streets because we're not creating for people. And I, I can tell you so many appliances that I get, and I'm like, okay, I wish a, a woman was a part of this design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because I feel like they missed out on that. Granted, you know. We're not seeing that a lot of women are feeling like, oh, I'm comfortable in this area. Oh, there's a lot of women that look like me in this area. I don't want to be the only one in this area. So I'm I'm trying to tap into that. So, But I do think that whatever we're doing is STEM. If we don't include arts into it, we're missing out on a whole bunch of things that, we, that could take us to the next level. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I saw a really cool video earlier today on LinkedIn of an art installation. I think it was in Dubai or somewhere in the Middle East. But there was a sensor that you could put your hand under and it would detect your heartbeat um, through the pulse, you know, in your in your blood. And then there were just thousands of light bulbs around this park or whatever. There's this lighting installation that would pulse with your heartbeat. And what it does is it it records your heartbeat and it will play like a, a playback compilation. And every every new heartbeat will rewrite the oldest one. So it's kind of like a living breathing art installation that's highly engineered right um nice and yeah i thought that was really cool and and like what you said about you know thinking outside the box i think traditionally we've made engineering a box yes that it has to be you know xyz and this type of personality fits in it and if you're not those things then it isn't for you Mm -hmm. because i always grew up thinking that engineers had you know, if I was to be an engineer, I would not be interacting with people much. I would just be sitting at a desk all day, you know, doing some science or math or, you know, whatever, figuring stuff out. And I'm a social person. Um, And so I didn't think that it really appealed to me, although I really loved the problem solving aspect of engineering. And so I ended up finding myself in sales engineering, which is a great, you know, combination of both of those things. But I didn't know that it existed really. Right. Because you kind of get like, oh, if you're social, go do this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, antisocial and you just like to do math and sit at your desk, then go be an engineer. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really limiting yes. in, in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think we're missing out because I've met so many engineers in my career that are artistic in some way. Like they have a hobby that's outside their work. But I always just remember one guy, he's just an amazing like flamenco guitarist. 
and he does Spanish guitar and plays during people's dance lessons and stuff like that. And then he was also developing test mechanisms for stents, you know, say heart disease. And I think there's some engineers out there that are not, you know, artistic at all, but I think a lot a lot more than we think have both, you know, both sides of the brain going on. You just don't always get to tie those things together. Yeah, I, I think everybody has a little bit of artistry in them. If you have ever looked outside of the window and thought, oh, the sky is really beautiful, or, uh, you know, looked at your child and, and, and felt this love for you, just seeing your child, or just being able to enjoy a good book, or just being able to be in an environment where something moved you. I think there was a, a video I saw that um, this, the movie star was explaining that art does allow us to connect to a side of us that typically is, is, is hard to explain. Like when you're experiencing love, and, and today's Valentine's Day, when you're experiencing mm-hmm. love like never before, art is one of the best tools that you can you can use you know, to express that, you're kind of running around looking for somebody in the world that has experienced that same feeling with you. So unless everybody, the person is a machine, I think mm-hmm. everybody has experienced art in some form. They have some experience with art. But maybe we're all never all going to be Picasso, you know? Right. <laughs> but there are different forms of art. And, and even I believe that STEM is creative as best as we could call it, right? So when we think about, you know, being able to take a system and and imagine a system that never existed, that is some form of artistry because you're imagining things. Art brings you into that. And I think we are not really seeing it. You know, most times when you say art, people are thinking of painting and all that. But there's the form of creative writing. There's the form of communication. Uh, you know, is is sometimes people don't know how to communicate because they yeah. never really, you know, walked on that side. But I don't think it's too late. I think everyone can learn uh, the same way people can learn how to do STEM. They can also learn how to do art, and we can merge okay. those two. I'm not saying that you're gonna be a Picasso or an orator, <laughs> but you're yeah. gonna be able to at least do better than you were doing before. However, I do think that. For someone like you, if you had not gotten that information initially that you needed to be a particular way, it would have changed your direction. I know, I know you like what you're doing and what you're doing is great, but we don't know that perhaps you're the one with the solution if someone had not discouraged you with the fact that you had to be a certain way. And what you said is true. A lot of young girls hear this all the time. And that's why whenever I show up, I show up looking a particular way i want them to see me in my locks i want them to see me you know looking good uh, all dressed yeah. up because i want them to realize that we don't it, this has absolutely my physical appearance has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in my brain my extroverted nation nature although i'm more of an ambivert my extroverted nature does not mean that i cannot be able to sit down by myself and think clearly and no one of us has ever walked on the team that we're ever doing it by ourselves. So I don't right. know where they got this information from because I've never <laughs> been able to do anything by myself. Whether you're building robots or you're building a small set of something, you're going to be part of a system. So in reality, we do need to be able to figure out how we can change that conversation. Yeah. Maybe this is wrong of me, but I also thinking of art and, and industrial, you know, and engineering is industrial design, 
right? Looking at, yes, a lot of industrial things and, you know, technology that we use on the engineering side, it's not made to be pretty, it's made to be functional, mm -hmm. right? And have longevity and be practical. But at the same time, I think we have seen examples that you can do both. In some cases, you can, you know, have an aesthetically pleasing uh, design for something incredibly robust and industrial. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, a pet peeve of mine a little bit in this world is when companies focus solely on the specs, the functionality, and they think that the features are going to sell themselves, but they don't have any ties to the how people emotionally react to their products, right? Because as much as we are making decisions, you know, based on form and function and pricing and, you know, vendor relationships and all of those things, part of that is emotional. Mm -hmm. I would say more so on the sales side, you know, people dealing with people that they like or trust or companies, you know, I, I think Ali and I were talking about this the other day, or it might've been somebody else, but like, if we think of uh, pneumatics, for instance, pneumatic valves on the, on the, you know, basic product line, you've got Festo from Germany and you've got SMC from Japan. Mm -hmm. And for all intents and purposes, they're both great products. They're well manufactured, they're well supported, they're well engineered, they're quality products. I really like the Festo blue and silver and their sleek design. <laughs> and the fact that their valve terminals look really nice. Mm -hmm. That to me is kind of important. Even though yes, it doesn't affect how the machine works. Sure. You're right. absolutely right. But if all else things are equal, guess what? I want the one that makes me feel like I like it, you know? And I I think our industry, kind of the B2B, has ignored that for a very long time. They don't think it matters at all. Uh, but I think now in this day and age where people are, have so much more access to information, mm -hmm. um, they have more ways to get what they need. Do you think that, you know, the how those products make you feel actually does make a difference as an engineer maybe I'm, I'm sure you've been tasked with procuring you know stuff components for the systems you're building things like that mm -hmm. do you think that matters or absolutely it matters a lot i have seen and i can even tell you about something that okay i'll just say because i know these are two companies apple and mm -hmm. android yeah okay these are these are two phones that do exist and I'm an Android person, and I understand that in a certain ways, technological-wise, Android is more advanced. It allows yeah. me to do more stuff. Apple, on the other hand, is has a following. Apple is able to get the things to market because it's they focus on not just making it functional, but they they make it more pleasing to the to the eyesight. So now, when when you are looking at I, and I, I do believe this, that people would overlook your error mm -hmm. if there is a certain level of pleasantness. I think there's an error margin that is yeah. permissible, you know, with getting cuteness, the cuteness factor will allow <laughs> you to pass through. And I always right. say, you know, when I build fixtures, I always say, oh, the cuter it is, the better it works. Now, people always think about, oh, you know, just look pretty. But there is something that goes into behind the thought of trying to make something look pretty. And, yeah. and it's in a way it focuses on making sure that it works well. So let me say I'm, I'm building the system. I have all my cables just laying haphazardly everywhere. Now, I, it works, right? But 
if something happens and I have to troubleshoot that, oh my God, it's horrifying. But yeah. I make that system to look cute. In the process, I end up making sure that everything is aligned in such a way that I can easily look at them and see it and understand it quickly. Then when I'm troubleshooting, it even makes it easier, even if my intention was to make it look cute. So right. we should not in any way undervalue the the benefits of things looking pleasing to the side because people we start out first with the with the sides before we go to the next thing now if, obviously once you once you things look too great you go in there it's not worth what is advertising you kind of lose interest but yeah. if if there was a small margin of error where i could be like you know what i'll just deal with it because this makes me feel a particular way everybody has some form of feeling and and I know you've been in sales, you understand that you don't you don't get sales because you're out there spewing facts like, oh yeah, this is the spec, this is this, this is that. But you're actually connecting to the person's feelings to be able to get them to buy and believe in what you're selling. So yep. while I'm not saying that people should spend a whole lot of money trying to impress people with their image or whatever, but I'm saying that it's important in the sense that we should not overlook the ability to be able to get into people's feelings, but even that, even if that means that we should make it look pleasing to their side first. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I wish Ali, I, I don't know if her internet dropped out. Um, I know she's had uh, also an, uh, an instance of working with someone where they made a point that, hey, we're engineering. This is not about feelings. And, and it's funny because there's a whole lot of feelings flying around in those Hello. conversations where somebody says, this is not about feelings. <laughs> it's like, you can say it's not about feelings all you want, but, but all of us have right. feelings. <laughs> we are not robots, right? To be clear, us human beings have feelings, whether we want to acknowledge them or not, <laughs> or whether we, you know, we try to compartmentalize them from our professional life. Ultimately, we are dealing with human beings that have feelings. And yes, rational engineering discussions they honestly are feelings too you're just you know whether you want to admit it or not um so i would love for it to be more permissible for people to bring themselves their feelings <laughs> and everything else to the table um yeah I, I think that's another reason why i think women have traditionally been told that this isn't for them because them and their feelings don't belong or uh, whatever other shortcomings we possibly have that aren't a good fit. Is that something that you ran into, you know, very mm -hmm. early on, um, both here in the U S is it similar in Nigeria or, or is it there, is it more acceptable and open there? It's not normally something that we, you know, make a point to talk about on the show too much, but I think, you know, particularly since this is part of your mission and what you're doing, it's relevant to the conversation today. Yeah, this is, uh, in, in Nigeria. Yes. I've, I've heard and experienced that. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. I feel like my feelings gave me superpower. I walk into a meeting and I'm intuitive about the emotions that's going around because a lot of people are just oblivious. And yeah. then we come and I'm listening to the customer or the client talking about that they're not happy with the product. Sometimes when people are not happy with the product, there's more to that conversation. They're not exactly unhappy about the product there's something else right so yeah. most times 
um, I hear people say, oh, you know, they, they just say they want you to fix this part. And I'm like, did you miss out on the other conversation <laughs> about the fact that when we, that we're not communicating constantly with them, like people will completely miss out on all of that conversation. And, I, and initially I was like, was I in the same meeting with these people? Later on, I started realizing that a lot of people are struggling with EQ and, you know, they have just relied on their IQ. They've never developed their EQ. And I, and I get it, you know, so I, I just like, oh, this is my superpower. So I'm listening to what is not being said. Um, yeah. And this is highly dependent on the feelings because some people, because they don't know how to deal with feelings, they're not very good at expressing it. Some people, because they're not good at dealing with their feelings, they don't know how to listen. I, I don't care what anybody says. There's, there's no way, unless you're a machine, and even at that, we're still trying to code feelings in the machine. It's difficult for you to say that you don't have feelings. I mean, you know, being angry is a feeling. Being sad is a feeling. Being happy is a feeling. We even we, And those are like large scale feelings. But then you can break them into smaller pieces, like being disgusted, um, you know, being um, scared that you're not going to meet the deadline. All of those things are feelings. And how does those feelings affect you when you're not actually recognizing that you're not your best self because you're feeling this way? So you're coming yeah. with too much baggage because you're not, you're not addressing you very well. So to me, it's my superpower. I'm, and I encourage my team with anybody I'm leading, like, hey, look, I need you guys to be able to express your feelings to me. We need to talk about how you feel because you're not, you know, either you're not bringing your best self or I don't just jump to the conclusion that somebody's bad at their job because I'm like, what, yeah. what, is, what is this going on with you? With you? Well, how can I help you? So all of these things put together does make me a great leader. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I don't know which engineer that is building the products that is not a leader. I don't care even if you have someone leading you, you're in charge of whatever thing you're building. And you have to communicate that to the other people, even when you guys are not agreeing on how you think a solution should be solved. So the concept of removing feelings, I find that laughable. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, that's like you said about that story. There's so much emotion going on here. I feel like I'm the only one that has addressed mine. And everybody yeah. else is just saying they're okay. Yeah. And I, I have seen, um, you know, people, bi businesses fail. I would say the main reason I can tell is that, uh, I mean, people will call it a toxic work environment or bad mm -hmm. management or things like that. But I think in some cases it's not, giving the human side of the workplace enough room um, and people not placing any importance on that. So huge, you know, there's a lot of like discussions and we have a friend, Jim Meyer, who runs the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. A lot of great conversations there about culture at manufacturing workplaces and why in a lot of cases that's holding companies back from recruiting the next generation. Mm -hmm. You work with obviously a lot of younger people and in stem divas i guess what are your thoughts on that like is this new generation expecting a more flexible human you know workplace where they can bring their feelings is that do you think that's different between the generations at all like what's your uh what are your thoughts on, on that yeah so that's a really good question because i have led several generations at work and also you know with stem divas like you mentioned one of the things I noticed, especially with this upcoming generation, is they're very particular about the, their mental health. 
Yeah. They will give up any form of money you're giving to them just so that they can be okay mentally, which I completely admire. The first time I encountered a person that was deciding that they were going to quit the work because this place was not healthy for them, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what could be your problem? You're getting paid well and all of that stuff. Then I realized that a lot of them, they've gotten to the point where money is not something that maybe my Gen X generation, I'm Gen X or millennials, think is important. For them, it's not important. They're willing to live in a car than to be mentally disrespected or stressed out. I mean, if you if you go on TikTok or you go on on Instagram, you will see people actually showing the joys of living out of a trailer, you know, and moving from place to place and, you know, just having, living their life now. So it's a very different generation. And and so they are actually requesting that companies do right by them. They are not, yeah. they're not, you know, going in and accepting whatever you put before them. And so you start hearing them, you know, making sure that the, the environment is not toxic. You know, they're willing to work for pennies to work in a good environment. And and also you see that the leaders that are coming up and taking on this leadership roles, they're millennials who have experienced uh, the toxicity of the past and they're more open. One of my favorite uh, boss was a millionaire. And it was very interesting to see how, he, how open-minded he was and how certain he was making sure that um, I was okay, which kind of empowered me to know that, oh, it's okay for me to want to be okay for a job that I'm working. So I'm yep. saying that as more of the millennials take you know, leadership positions and more of the Gen Zs you know, come into the workforce, the, the atmosphere has to change. And if leadership does not connect with that, they're going to lose out. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, don't worry, I will do the work or robotics will do the work. I'm just saying, no, we're not there yet. And whoever is going to program or build your, your AI or robotics have to be these people. So when you are working in an environment that is toxic or having a culture that's toxic, people are not going to stay. You're going to keep seeing the kids and they're not really kids, they're going to be jumping from point A to point B. However, with what we're doing as Team Davis, I have realized that there have been a lot of times that I've experienced toxicity in the workspace as a woman, mm-hmm. and as a woman of color. And so one of the things that I've always worried about was, am I creating a pipeline to send in the girls into environments that is not healthy for them? Yeah. And that always worried me. So one of we changed... In addition to our mission, we included that we would be working with companies to make sure that the companies are keeping the environment healthy for these young girls to come in and be themselves. Because that's what we're preaching to them, that you can be yourself, come in yeah. like we are. And so we, we can tell them all of this stuff and then they go into those environments and get penalized for that thing we told them that could be. And, and so we are hoping to be in collaborations with companies, you know, to help them to make sure the environment is safe for the young kids that are coming into STEM and working in those environments. And we're going to ask them to pledge with us so that we can we can get an agreement from them that we're going to make this place healthy. If you have someone in your environment that is toxic, get rid of them. 
you yeah. we don't we would I would much rather have someone who is willing to learn that has a good attitude to uh, that can be in the environment than to have one person that is so toxic because what's going to happen is I'm going to have just one toxic person and the rest of the people are going to leave, leave. So that mentality has to start going through the minds of these leaders. And we as team leaders, we're going to help them because if we are doing a pipeline or sending for interns into their group, we need to make sure that that place is safe for them. And I'm, yeah. I'm willing to go as far as telling the young girls, no, you can't walk there. That place is terrible. You can't go there. Your mental health is important. You need to be in a place where you can be yourself because that's where you actually strive and succeed. And you need to be in an environment that can accept you. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I have been in, I've done the, oh, I'm so scared. And I've been in this environment and I came out damaged. And now I don't do that anymore. So I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to believe that, oh, it's, it's never going to get better. So I'm, I'm really focusing on getting you know, more girls into STEM, but I'm going to also work on the other pipe that I'm not creating a pipeline for them to disperse when they get in there, but rather yeah. have them continue to grow so we can see more women in STEM and we will encourage the next generation so we don't have to do too much work because now everybody can see women in STEM and it becomes like a natural thing. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned earlier, too, about not having to be alone and always represent. So I think that's a concept that, you know, people that haven't been in the minority don't necessarily understand. And rightfully so. How how would they? Right. Unless mm -hmm. we talk about it a lot, unless they find a way to empathize, unless and it probably takes more than one conversation. But can you talk a little bit about that? Like you, okay, obviously you're in engineering, you're in leadership, you're performing at a high level, you're professional. And you come into a job that's probably very demanding on all those fronts. And then you also have to play the representative of all the things, right, <laughs> that are missing in that place. If you're alone, if you're the only one representing being a woman or a person of color, or in your case, being a woman of color, which doubles up, like, mm -hmm. you know, the the different attitudes and, and issues and things. I was at an AHTD meeting, uh, which is the Association of High-Tech Distribution. A lot of distribution companies in the industrial automation space are very traditional. Some of them are very, uh, have great cultures and have been able to put that out there. I'll throw out uh, AWC in Texas and Louisiana, for instance. I have never seen so many uh, young people and women on teams like I do with them. And one of the things they put in their ads is, you know, bring your whole self to work with us, that sort of thing. So I think that they're embracing it and doing a good job. But there was a speaker at this event that mentioned this. And she said, hey, it's really important that if you're going to make an effort to try to hire diverse candidates, don't just start stop with one because you're setting that person up for failure from yeah. day one. Because and I don't think people realize like you're you're putting all kinds of unpaid work on that person yeah. in addition to doing their job. And I don't want to be presumptuous and say, like, can you because now I'm putting you on the spot and saying represent all those things in this conversation. <laughs> but if if you're willing to speak about that a little bit, can you just help bring that point home or tell me what you think about that? Is that does that feel correct to you? Uh, yes. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's unpaid labor. For, for those of us that's showing up there as, as the only one, right? All of a sudden, 
I have to, if I'm the only woman, I have to be all kinds of women, right? Yeah. I have to be, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, because I do like some things that some people might deem masculine, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, okay, am I, am I trying to be too much of a man or am I, can I be more of a woman? And then, <laughs> and then if I'm the only person of color there and it's like, okay, I, what kind of black woman are they comfortable with that I have to be in? You know, there is, it's not like people are putting that pressure on you to, you know, directly, but there is that said thing. And so I cannot remember any company I've been at that I'm not even part of the ERGs because I'm, I feel like I have to speak on these things because no one's going to speak about it, right? For me, and which is so funny that you said that because every time, you know, like if you ask around, there's still most black women, uh, we always end up in ERGs and the most black women, you know what? You'll be good in DEI. I'm like, I'm DEI. <laughs> I have no choice. <laughs> That's not exactly my passion. I'm just trying to make sure that whatever right. trickles down, it doesn't end up destroying me. So this is more of a survival thing, honey. I'm not, I'm not, it's not a job anymore. It's not like, oh, I have this passion about this. So, right. you know, it's, it's like you said, it's an, uh, it's an unfair body. I would love a situation where there's a girl, not anything like me. And, you know, she can, you know, be like, I, I'm not really in my feelings about these things. And I want to be able to be the one that can cry about these things. And then you start having this environment where you have people seeing different types of women and letting go of the stereotypes and realizing yeah. that we are all uh, different. We are not a monolith. There was a time that, because I know you noticed that my voice is kind of deep. And, um, and, and, you know, most times people have this impression that women are supposed to have higher voices. <laughs> and, and in a way, you know, I, 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 um, it didn't work in my favor. And I was given addition out. This is very terrible advice at that time to my mentees. Like, oh, you know, you want to deepen your voice when you're talking. And, and I, and, and in hindsight, I was, I was thinking I was helping them, but I, I wasn't. I got to a point where I, I started thinking, I was like, why is not training them to be the way that everybody looks or sound like? Why don't we train them to get comfortable with the different voices of women? You know, why, yeah. am, I, why am I putting the burden on, the, on those young engineers to be able to become something that other people can be comfortable with? So I, I, that's when I started, you know, letting go of some of my own things like the burdens that holds me down. So I, I don't want people to feel like, oh, you know, it, it's, I, you, I feel terrible that I'm being called out. No, it's okay for you to feel bad about being called out. It's okay. Make a change because even I, I even I have had some things in my head that I've said and done in the past, like telling somebody, can you deepen your voice when you're talking so people can take you seriously? It's a very terrible advice, you know, especially for someone who's like putting women out there. So, um, yeah, so the thing the theme is every one of us we're learning, right? You know, it's yeah. like you said, it's hard for them to recognize that this is an unfair body to me because they're not a minority in this group. So now you know when I say something, just believe me because you're not mm-hmm. walking in my shoes. And then help me become yeah. my ally. You know, speak for me when your voice is louder. If you're in the room I'm not in, please say the things that you've heard from me. 
and 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 then allow me to to be able to speak give me opportunities to speak so these are very very simple things that can be put in place but once you center it yourself and say, oh, I feel bad. I feel like you're making me feel bad or you're talking about me and all that. Then you've kind of lost the focus because then you, you you become more of a problem. You know, yeah. you can't, you, it's one thing when you don't know. Now you know, do better, right? So yeah, I, 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 I it's an external, it's a real big burden for me. I just feel like maybe if I get more girls here, uh, more women in the spot, it will be easier for us. <laughs> now I don't have to be the only one. You guys can represent anywhere you like and we can all be who we actually are. Yeah, that's one of the things that I feel really lucky about right now in my current job. My CEO knew me from the past, but you know, not fully, right? Because we worked together, you know, several years ago at a different job. And I think we've both also evolved and grown as people over the years. Uh, but when uh, my CEO, Roman, started this company and uh, asked me to come on board, I did my best to make sure that I uh, brought up all my concerns and possible reasons why they might not want to work with me up front, because I was really tired of having to mold myself to my profession mm -hmm. um, or my job. I used to be in, you know, outside sales. And not only was it, you know, my management and my company that I needed to make sure to fit in, but then my customers, right? Don't ever say anything that they don't like, agree with everything that they say. Mm -hmm. And especially early on in your career, you don't have the confidence to know when it's appropriate to push back, when it's not, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so I do sometimes when I talk to girls or women earlier on in their career, I do, you know, and it's interesting, um, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but Automation ladies, we don't have a formal community yet, but we do have people that come on the show or get to know us or they will reach out because they are maybe alone in their workplace. They find some reason why they connect with us or or why they, you know, see us as somebody that they can talk to. And we've had instances where people reach out about a problem at work. Um, they're being treated a certain way. Uh, there was one example where the girl just she wanted to quit. And we had a whole host of some of us from the show and some guests, like we just got a little conversation together and we all had some pretty different advice based on, you know, what we had experienced, things that had worked for us or didn't work. And so I thought that was also very interesting. You're not going to get the same advice from all women, right? We're not a monolith. Exactly. We have all different types of experiences. Uh, but then secondly, I thought about it in as much as I wanted to say, oh, just get out of there. It's a terrible place, you know? Sometimes there are things that you can do to learn to navigate things. And, you know, with maturity, sometimes comes perspective. Mm -hmm. And I do think that sometimes young people in general don't have that complexity of experience to see things, maybe more of a long-term view or things like that. Um, and that, I don't think it matters what generation. It's just one of those things that, you know, with age and more experience, mm -hmm. you see how more nuanced the world is than you think, I think, earlier. Um because I like the, the fact that all the girls had different advice to the same problem. And I also like the fact that you talked about the nuances of being in it for a long time. Now you knew how to navigate these things a little bit better. So, yeah. I wanted and to I've heard from other people too, similar stories to what you mentioned about how you used to give people certain advice to try to fit in, right? About lowering their voice or for them to be taken more seriously. And then now you realize that, hey, maybe you don't need to be telling them how to mold to a system that has problems, right? 
-hmm. rather they can be themselves and we need to fix and and then i think that's also one of the things like we talk about the industry like it's a monolith or Mm -hmm. companies right they're not Different groups within companies can have different cultures. Sure. Sometimes moving to a different group within an organization changes everything about your experience with the job. Sure. Um, other times it's moving to another company in the industry and it can be a company doing the same thing, but with better culture. With my company that I work for now, I came in and one of the first things I did was like tell them how I have had anxiety at work. And in one of my previous positions, it was really hard for me because I got anxiety and I didn't know what to do about it. And I was trying to fix it all on my own and it was Mm -hmm. affecting my work. And I wasn't sure if I could tell my boss, but I did because I didn't see any other options. Mm -hmm. And thankfully he was really cool about it. And we made some changes in my responsibilities at work. And I got a little bit of time just to go take care of myself. And lo and behold, I got better and I, you know, everything changed. Um, And so I saw that happen And then when I came into this new job, I was like, this has happened to me before. And I need this to be a workplace where I can talk about it anytime I need to. I need this to be a workplace where other people that work here know Mm -hmm. that it's okay to talk about, um, to bring themselves, right? And to be able to, like you said, bring their baggage and things like that. Um, And, you know, a big part of being a good manager today, I think is like, you're right, just making sure that your people are okay, not just hammering on them on their deliverables, but if they're not delivering, asking why or what you can do to help. And then making it clear that, you know, whatever the reason is, it's okay to talk about because as much as we try to separate it, home life does affect work life and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Probably even more so now that we do this, you know, working remotely and we're Mm -hmm. on all the time. I think people's expectations are changing faster than organizations can change. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of the other reasons why Allie and I started the show is because we found each other and we actually had some things in common other than just being women, um, because we've often been chewed into the women's room or women's <laughs> networking event or the women's conference. <laughs> and I'm like, that I don't like at all. I don't like being singled out for my gender or put into a room with other people of my same gender and think that we have... I mean, there are some things that women, you know, kind of have in common, right? Things that you can understand better. But uh, by and by, like, I don't want to be working in a room full of only women. I, I find that to be, I don't know, harder, I guess. I I think it's important to have, like, a, all, all kinds of different perspectives. Um, and people connect on different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so imposter syndrome is something that, you know, I think as women, we talk about it more. I don't know. If, if they just say that we have it more or we feel it more, I think it happens to everyone. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, is that something that's affected you in your work? Do you talk to the, to the girls about that? And, you know, in STEM divas? Yes. Yes. Um, I have a different perception around imposter syndrome. I'm going on that based on something you said about being in an environment that you didn't fit in. And, yeah. and we tell the girls, can you confirm so they can fit into this environment? Now, imagine that you're somebody that has been pushed into an environment where you don't fit in. Why would you not feel like an imposter? So instead of asking the victim that is being treated in an environment that don't fit in and tell them, why don't you fix yourself so you can get over imposter syndrome? Maybe the solution is to fix the environment. Because I find it pretty weird that a lot of women are the ones complaining about imposter syndrome. I'm like, I didn't know that was something that's tied to 
be feminine, right? Right. How are you so confident in yourself until you get into a specific environment? Suddenly, you feel like an imposter because the environment was made to make you feel like an imposter. Because they're asking you to be somebody you're not. Because they're not allowing you to be your full self. So every time you wear a mask, you're an imposter. You're like, I don't feel like me. So that, I feel, is the underlying thing around imposter syndrome. So for me, imposter syndrome is a myth. I don't have it. Whenever I'm in an environment and I feel like I'm an imposter, I'm like, okay, let me look at this environment. What exactly are you guys doing that is making me to feel like an imposter? And then I try to tap that. I try to address that. And then I find out that I'm fine after that. Because I find out that I was never feeling less confident prior to meeting you all. So before I go around and start seeing kinotherapists, let me just make sure I'm not walking with some kind of, <laughs> the wrong kind of people, right? And so this is why I am always careful when the word imposter syndrome is being thrown around. You know, and it's like we women, we're forced to imbibe it. As a matter of fact, there was a time I had to lie that I had imposter syndrome so I could fit it. Because I don't like, I, was, I don't feel like I have imposter syndrome. You're having imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah, because you see, I had to have it, right? Because at the point in time, you'd be like, hey, look, I feel like this, what you guys are doing is making me uncomfortable. And they were like, are you sure? It's not your imposter syndrome working against you. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I was like, okay, I, I guess I have imposter syndrome, but in reality, it doesn't exist for me because I have been living my life as who I am. And, and when I go into the environment, why, why, what is it about you that makes you feel like you can exist in this space and I feel like an imposter? Because yeah. you know, culturally in Nigeria, there's this thing that we always hear from our parents. Like when you when you come home with uh, the, like you know, the second in your grade, your parents will ask you, oh, so the person who made first, do they have seven heads? So I've been already, <laughs> I've been trained to think that there really is nothing someone else is doing that I I cannot do. So the concept of just feeling like an imposter when somebody else is existing in that space doing the same thing just doesn't sit right with me. So I, most times I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's the environment. And then I start looking at the environment. Then I start finding the gaps. Like when I do, when, when you hire somebody based on the potential, you need me to prove myself so much. I, yeah. I prove myself and then you question the next thing. And then I have to come in there. I have to be somebody I'm not. I have to dip in my voice when I'm talking, when I I, I, I want to squeal. And so things like that would make any woman who is not made for that environment to feel like an imposter. So I just feel like we should take that off the table because the solutions don't solve the problem. Rather, we should look at the environment. If you have two women in your group and two of them are feeling like imposters, then something's wrong with your environment. If you have just one, something is wrong with your environment. Because if the imposter syndrome is not happening to everybody, and I know sometimes guys always say, yeah, I have imposter syndrome too. I'm like, stop it. You don't. <laughs> because we, this is not what, what you're describing. is not what we feel. Because half the time we're constantly proving ourselves while you're riding on being your potential of being great. And then, yeah. you know, there were just so many things. If you're in the wrong environment, they will question everything you do. You will not be encouraged. When you say something, somebody else says the same thing you said. They'll be like, yeah, this person said it right. And that's the person that gets the credit. How, how would you not feel like an imposter in that environment? So I, 
I like to take that completely off the table. And I'm, I, when I talk to my girls, I'm like, if you feel like you don't belong, every room you walk into, if you're there, you belong there. If you feel like you don't belong there, then look around and see who is making that environment difficult for you to feel like you don't belong there. And that person is your problem. That environment yeah. is your problem. It's not you. That bad body, I try to take it off the shoulders so they can focus on more on being great and being themselves rather than trying to walk on their mental health <laughs> when the environment itself just constantly keeps pushing the bar. I have as so many diverse skills. I know sometimes people are like, why do you have all the skills? Because every time I hit one bar, nobody tells me that's okay. They say, oh, maybe you just need one more thing. And I keep trying. Well, I'm not complaining because right now I'm enjoying the perks of being able to be as diverse as I am. But it, it it's not, it, it's because I love to learn. But imagine somebody who's not like me. How yeah. many people have gotten off the, the, the tracks to say, this is not really for me because every time you hit that bar, someone says, no, you have to just one more thing and, and another thing and one more thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something we have to look into. If we, if we have any imposter syndrome conferences, we should be, it should be about <laughs> how do we fix this environment? <laughs> not how yeah. we make it fix themselves and stop feeling like imposters. <laughs> it brings up a good point too about environment versus management. Um, and I'll take an experience of mine. I worked at a company that was, it was my favorite job. I came in and granted, I, I was the only woman in the office for a little while. Uh, but that didn't, in that environment, it wasn't a problem for me. I, and it was my favorite job that I loved for a couple years. And then I got a, a man, a new manager who took everything that I loved about the job. And he just had such different priorities than I did. That did make me feel like an imposter in a job that I was already doing well, mm -hmm. because somebody came and basically lay, overlaid a whole different set of expectations on me and changed everything that the job was really supposed to be about, even though the job description didn't change. It was just what priorities this person had versus what I felt like were more the group priorities we were going for, you know, before that. But it made me end up quitting the job because I went from feeling good going to work every day to feeling like an imposter uh you know just it didn't align with me I believe you wrote a book last year about some of this stuff can you tell us do you have any advice on how to not just you know create a a workplace where people can come and and perform and be themselves but you know are there management strategies styles things that we can do even as individuals to make sure that we're fostering a, a a workplace that actually lets people do their best work? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, I wrote a book and it's called Unlocking the Team Puzzle and it's a team building strategy to help, you know, not just managers, but also companies to identify the productivity personalities of each one of their team and even okay. the people for themselves to identify their productivity personality. Uh, this came out about, like, you know, I've been leading a group of people and I've, I realized that there are three types of productivity personalities. They are the people who are early starters and they are the people, these are the people who are always quick to jump on any ideas that bring about, like you want to change process, they're quick to go. They're always trying to be innovative. And then there are people who are deep divers. These are people that I found out they like to get into the nitty gritty. They're usually skilled in one area. Uh, you know, they're like, 
like the expert in one specific area. And then I found that the people who are final finishers, they're usually not the front ones to jump in on the stuff, but when they come in at the tail end and they make sure that the project is done, they even go as far as following up with a customer, make sure that the deliverable is done. And each one of them have uh, different productivity personalities. So that's why each one of them experience burnout differently. However, companies have a tendency, depending on who their leader is, to hire people who are like them, even though they yeah. don't look like them. And so right. we start finding out that some of the side effects, because they have advantages and disadvantages of those personalities, when you have too much of one, the disadvantages of those personalities start affecting your companies. So for example, if you have too much early starters, you find out that you're not delivering to your product. You come up with these great ideas, they never get to fulfillment because you don't have enough final finishes to go there. So what yeah. happened, I was in this meeting, um, leadership meeting, talking to another person, and he told me he came from a company. And I said, well, I think that company has a lot of early starters. And, and he said, what I, I explained it to him. And he's like, you know what? That's right. And I, and, he, and I was like, you wouldn't fit in there because you're not one. And I, um, I said, um, you know, this is what they need to do. And he said, you know what? You should write a book. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll write an article. <laughs> Let's start small. <laughs> and so I started out with an article and then, uh, I was just, I had so much ideas and I didn't want it to be a big book. So I wrote just the first one, which was supposed to be an introduction to productivity personality. And I have two more books to write, which is going to be how to manage different productivity personality and then how companies based on their production cycle needs to be able to encourage people to pick up a productivity personality at least for a short time to be able to get themselves to the finish line. Mm. Now, this first book is really very small, very easy to read. And I found that that a lot of people have been talking to me about it and, you know, I, uh, they want to know how to check their productivity personalities and how to, you know, identify themselves. And also managers have been asking me questions on how, you know, to put their productivity personalities that is accurate before leadership. Because I found that problematic because if you have, a, a, if you're part of a system that the, the productivity personality that dominates is like an early starter, you know, always mm -hmm. always there. When you're trying to, you know, promote somebody that's a deep diver or final finisher because you know that influences helps to get them to the product to finish, you you have to do more work, right? Because they don't yeah. have the insight to understand that even though this person is not out there, but they are the ones that's making sure that we don't do an error, we don't have an error out and all that. And they're like, well, I don't, they're not very um we don't know that, right? And so you have a hard time even getting them a promotion. So I feel like this is things that I want to teach in my book. And the most important thing is about burnout. Burnout happens when people try to adapt productivity personalities that is not theirs. I mean, people can pick up productivity personalities, but they can't do it for too long. Yeah. I'm an early starter. But me if you too. put me on the... <laughs> if you put me on the final finisher on the automation ladies team, please. <laughs> no, I, I'm an early starter that needs a deep diver because yeah. I picked up final finisher roles. I, I can do that because I, I was in a company that focused on customer service. So I learned how to do that, but I need a deep diver with me. But now if you, if, if you are somebody that, you know, you say, okay, you know, Joma, go be a deep diver. I can do that for a short time, but if yeah. you put me on that role for a long time, I'm going to burn out. 
I'm, you know, because I'm going to be like, oh my God, I have learned everything. I mean, I, to what I want about, you know, this PLC. I want to do something else, right? Because I want to mm-hmm. come up with something that is brand new, I, you know, and stuff like that. And so what people find, what people try to do is they try to get one solution to solve all the burnout problems. And you find stuff I'm not like, well, I don't, I don't get it. I give them vacation time. You know, I, I did all this stuff. Yeah. Why are they, why are they experiencing burnout? They're not doing, they're not working according to the productivity personalities. And when they do, that productivity personality never gets appreciated. So in my in my thinking, it's like I can build a diverse team. I can get my team to come in and I can I can find what your productivity personality and allow you to shine in that space when it's time for you to shine. Because when during the production cycle, everybody has a period where they shine. And then yeah. you find out that, you know, and I recognize like, okay, these are your strengths. And you find out that we mitigate each other's weaknesses because having an early starter with a deep diver, they mitigate the weakness of them trying to move on to the next stage. Uh, and instead of with a final finisher, they can take the project from them when they're bored and take it to the very end. So you can, you can see how having all of the mixed productivity personality helps. And even when... I have someone that I need you to take on the role of a different productivity personality. I can explain to you that this is short term. Yeah. And I'm going to put you to where you're going to thrive next in a short time. And you find out that people are like, okay, you know, I can sit here and do early starter work until, I, you know, it's time for me to go do the part that I'm ready for. And, and having that knowledge changes the way that people experience burnout. Like in that example you gave about being at work and the manager came in and he was probably pushing his own productivity personality, which is not in alignment with you, you know? And right. sometimes he would be like, look, I, I have this new idea. I have this new innovation. They're like, yeah, but, you know, we want to make sure that all the data, all the documents is in alignment. I would like for you to look at that like 30 times. And you're already bored. You're like, oh. I got to do this again, you know, and and you you could easily quit. And then coupled with all the other things, like maybe just wrong environment and the way they're treating you. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so many sides to productivity personalities. It's it's just something that is, I'm just not trying to go too deep into it because I don't have uh, research behind it, but (laughs) it's based more on experience. And I hope that somebody can go around and say, oh, you know what? I've recognized certain things about myself and there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I'm not like the other guy and this is where my strengths are and I can focus on that and help this company to be successful. Absolutely. I'm I'm fascinated by this. I would love to, A, I will read the book um, because... I didn't know what it was about before you we we discussed this and absolutely I already recognize you know that I definitely fall into one of those categories. I've done the work and I can do the work of the other, you know, areas, but you're right, not for long term. And if I know up front that it's short term, then that's a whole different situation than being thrust in it and thinking that you're going to be there forever. Um I say this a lot like I once I get really good at something and I'm repeating myself, I get bored. So I need to constantly be learning something new or doing something new, which is not the best for all positions all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But if you recognize it and you know that you can step out of that for a little while, but you can come back into it, I think that makes a huge difference. Um, Yeah, when I was younger and I was interning for my dad, uh, I was lucky I got to do a lot of things, but I did one of my jobs was accounting. And one summer I did a lot of accounting and holy crap, it's not for me. I mean... Just I I hated it after a while because uh, it's so repetitive. I felt like I was just 
stuck in a rut, kind of doing the same thing day in and day out. And I was atrophying my, my attention, everything. Um, and then the next summer I decided I, I took on small accounting. I did the monthly reconciliations and I did a couple of other things, but I made sure that it was only about two hours of my day mm-hmm. that I spent on accounting. And I loved doing accounting that summer because I knew it was only a small part of what I had to right. do. Right. And it was repetitive. Yes. And all those things. But when I could, could sort of mentally prepare myself that that's not all I was going to be doing, that's not all I'm going to be known for. Um, it made a huge difference. I, I just recently had a conversation too. I think it was last week at trace route, uh, training. We had this OT network training, uh, with our friend, Josh Varhees. There was a company there, um, you know, smaller company, they do controls and they've had a number of issues just with people they've hired, um, that some would just, you know, disappear, not call in, you know, just different things like that. And they were asking about, you know, personality tests and, you know, what can we do to make sure that we understand maybe how to better manage certain types of people. And I know there's a bunch of, you know, personality tests out there and things like that. And unfortunately, some of them are extremely expensive. Um, I didn't know that, but does your sort of the way that you're looking at productivity personalities, um, do you think that that's something that you can do outside of other types of personality testing or would you want to do like multiple different types and look at people's productivity personalities as well as some of the other existing personality type models? I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. Um, people say like, oh, I'm INTJ and things like that. Yeah. I don't remember what test that is, but uh, there's all kinds of different ways, right? Of measuring people's personalities. Well, it, the thing with productivity personality, it doesn't it doesn't get personal, right? Yeah, it's just okay. basically about production, the work you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So you can be INTF or ENTJ, but you could be a different productivity personality. And sometimes you could move to a different job and you want to you you find yourself picking up a different productivity personality around that job, you know? So I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's that deep where you go, Oh, you know, this is my personality. It's just when you go into a company and you find out that this is what you're doing and you find out that this is, this is how I respond to the things that I'm doing. This is how I, I want to be part of the deliverables that this thing is doing. It, you, it's kind of, you develop a productivity personality behind it, yeah. right? So it's like companies do have productivity personalities. That, that is, that's funny. So I found that, that agile startups, you know, they have like early startup productivity personality as the dominating one because they're being innovative. They're starting yeah. out, you know, they, you know, they need to be quick, iterate quickly, you know, and they have to be, have a group of people that can take risk and not overthink it. And then when you have companies that have established themselves for a long time, you know, they already have reputations. Uh, yeah. You see those companies, they're pretty dominated with deep divers because they are, calling themselves almost like an expert to go to for, for the particular thing. So yeah. you know them as that person. And then there's the established companies, like, you know, like, like they've been around for a while. They have a productivity personality that's dominant, that's final finishers. And the reason you see this is like the way they reward. And it's kind of based on where they are in their production cycle. 
right? Yeah. If I've already established myself, what's very important is the deliverable gets to the customer. So most yeah. times we have a lot of final finishers because they, they will, you know, there's a standardized process. We're not changing anything. You know, when you work, and I've worked in each one of this company, when you work in space, nothing gets changed. If you want to change the resistor, there is too many FRBs that goes on. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you know what? Let's just let's just keep it moving. And so your deliverables is more important. So you see that you develop that productivity personality where you're like, oh, we're working through the space, already established work instructions, and we need a bunch of people in there to be able to move to the next level. And when you go and work in companies that's like uh, you know, like a startup, like like uh, SpaceX, which is yeah, like, yeah. You know, and you start seeing that oh, they're iterating real quick, you know, things can break down or whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> different productivity personalities there. And so it was kind of funny, right? When I was looking at where and there was SpaceX, and we were like, how are they getting away with all of this? Like when they make all these mistakes, because yeah, we yeah. are in this place where our rules are like you can, you know. And I'm like, man, these guys are so lucky, right? Because I'm more of an early starter and that's kind of like what I felt would be more of the thing. So it's it's not tied to people's personality at all. It's just tied to the product. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Deliverables, yeah. That makes why. a lot of sense. Yeah. And actually thinking about what type of company is right for you. It doesn't just have to be about the type of work or the type of industry, but can also be about the maturity level of the company, how they're operating. Um, I didn't know any of that, you know, early. Nobody talks to you about that early in your career, at least not for me. I went to business school and I remember uh, <laughs> the rules were you have to wear a skirt and pantyhose to any of the interviews if, as a woman. I was not allowed to wear pants. Um <laughs> This was, and this was in the 2000s. Like, I still don't understand. I, I hope they've changed it by now. But they said, oh, business is conservative. Business school, you know, that's what you do. And I remember just, I had the hardest time finding a suit because there's not a lot of places to sell women's suits to begin with, let alone ones that are very plain, but also, you know, whole thing. And I couldn't afford it. I was like, I'm, I'm a college student. I don't have $200 to drop on a suit for a mock interview. So I bought myself some separates and, you know, pretended I had a suit. But another thing that it was very like, everything was very standardized. It was like, this is how you write. This is how business writing is. This is what you need to put on your resume. And I remember for years, I had detail oriented on my resume because it was one of the things that you're supposed to put. And I tried my hardest to be, be detail-oriented. <laughs> and then after a while, and I sometimes am, and, and it is like, you, it's kind of situational, right? right? When I'm in a place where I absolutely have to, and I'm, you know, in that zone, I am extremely detail-oriented. But in, as a general, you know, trait for me as a person, I am more, much more of a, you know, get me, get myself 85% there mm -hmm. and then worry about the details later because like I am a kind of an early starter, right? Oftentimes right. I'm working on things that are new, that are not proven, that don't have a blueprint. Nobody's telling me exactly how to do it. And then at that point, you know, perfection is definitely the enemy of good. Yes. And I am not necessarily a detail-oriented person. And it took me years to feel comfortable taking that off my resume because I just thought it's what you had to be. Um, and I think that we're entering or we're already in this like glorious age of, having technology make it so that we can we don't have to 
have, you know, only two choices for everything or five, right? Like we used to have very limited means of communication, very limited, you know, production capabilities to where we couldn't personalize things. You know, we don't have those constraints today. We have all kinds of ways that we can embrace more complexity in our systems, in our world. And so I found myself to thrive way better when I took detail-oriented off my list altogether. I let people know what my strengths are and what, you know, be more realistic about my weaknesses because it's not about, oh, am I going to be able to do the job or not do the job because I have these weaknesses? Then it's more like, okay, how do I complement yes. my strengths or my weaknesses with other people in the team to where we perform better as a team or as a company by playing to people's strengths and letting them, you know, not forcing them to make their weaknesses mm-hmm. um, a big part of their job. And I had never thought of it in the sense of this these productivity personalities, but that's that's really cool concept because, like you said, it's not about your personal personalities, and so it doesn't even have to be related to people. Mm-hmm. It can be. So I've worked at a companies where they were so far established that anytime I had a you know an idea or something that I thought should be changed, I was you know patted on the back and said, oh, nice to know, but welcome to to such and such company. Like, this will never change. I know. (laughs) And then I learned about myself through those experiences that, you know what, I am actually a really good early stage startup person because Mm -hmm. A, I am that early starter. And B, I really like having some influence. I really like having, being able to come up with or, you know, see things that I think should be done a certain way and be able to have some influence over that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of companies and managers and even, you know, people in their career, knowing this, having some insight into this can help them avoid a lot of hard, hard, you know, experiences, I think. Yes. And and companies, you know, are always trying to be more productive. They're, they're always trying to get the best talent. And I think the best talent, if you can redefine that a little bit, you're going to have a much easier time True. attracting, getting that talent and then retaining it once you have it. Yeah. So I guess with all of that talking from my side, we're probably um, looking at a good time here to wrap up. So can yeah. you tell us, Choma, what can people expect to see from you going forward, maybe in the short term or long term, if there's anything you want to talk about and where can people connect with you if they want to work with you or follow your work or support your causes or your um, buy your book. Where can I buy your book? It's on Amazon. I have it okay. on Kindle and I have it in paperback. It's um, very um, uh, accessible, unlocking the team puzzle. It, it's, I don't have it on any other format because I'm not really a writer, but I just wanted to make sure I have this idea out there. But eventually yeah. I'm going to have it on other uh, um, bookstores. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll go ahead and put a link to the, to the Amazon link. Um, So you guys can buy this. If you're hearing this later, uh, we'll put a link on the automationladies.io resources page. So uh, if you can't find it by searching for it, then you can find it on our website. And I, I, I'm doing a lot with Team Davis right now. We upgraded our website um, because we want to create communities. We realized that we can get the girls where they are without the parents. So we are creating communities, not just for the girls, but we're creating communities for the parents and we're creating communities for the mentors and volunteers. So the girls are going to be... So when you, if you know a group of a girl age 8 to 18 that you feel would 
benefit from this free service because we do hands-on experiment we sometimes do it in person and sometimes we do it virtual and we're very mobile we move from okay. place to place so you never know what scene we're going to pop up so we want the girls to register so that once we're thinking of going to a different place we can look at your location and reach out to you and ask for more people and have you come attend our events um we try to do a merge of arts and science um, on to celebrate International Women's Day. We're going to be doing uh, style tech twists. It's actually a combination of hairstyles and LEDs and several motors. So Ooh, think nice. about like futuristic hairstyles. So yeah. the girls are going to just go in, learn how to do a hair, and then learn how to design the hair to do all kinds of things. So it will be like. Your hair can be moving or LEDs start shining or something like that. And so that's kind of like how we do our hands-on so that it will be a machine of both arts. So, yeah, please go to our website, register again. If you're a parent and you just want to know how to encourage your child in STEM, it doesn't have to be a girl, but usually we try to give resources for girls. Yeah, register yourself. We have our communities. You can experience things there uh, on our Slack channel. You can use our resources. We provide resources available to parents. And if you're a mentor and you feel like you're somebody that wants to encourage uh, young girls, yeah, you can be, either be a mentor or a volunteer or be both. We allow that. Uh, so you can talk to these young girls and one-on-one. Um, you can volunteer for these events when we come to your city uh, because we do need a lot of volunteers to help us with this. And you don't even have to know how to code. We teach everything. We remove any kind of stress from coding. So we just so you can have the hands-on experience and, and come out and be happy that you built something you can take home or build something you can tell your friends about and put it on your webpage or on your Instagram account. Just know, letting you know that you can science this out, okay? And so our website is uh, steamdivas.org, like steam, S-T-E-A-M, D-I-V-A-S dot org. And uh, on our website, there's a spot for register. Uh, there's a spot for resources. There's a spot for being us on our Slack channel. Definitely, we, we we rely heavily on donations. We don't want anybody to tell us what kind of people we should have in our group. We're not strictly females. I don't even believe in a binary system, basically. So whatever way you identify yourself, join our group. We don't care. Uh, we're just happy to have you there. And we are just trying to make sure that we allow we, we fix whatever is in the system that's making it difficult for a lot of females to come in. And if you are one of those people that is experiencing the same thing, join our group. We there's no room. We don't have any of those limitations. But please we would love your donation. You can donate on our page. We have PayPal, we have Cash App, we have uh, checks, <laughs> we have you know credit card systems. You it's safe. Uh, we really appreciate the donations that come in. That's how we're able to do some of these events. Uh, that you are hearing us talk about okay wonderful we'll make sure to put all those links up as much as we can in the show notes as well as on your guest profile on automationladies.io and then choma feel free anytime you have updates new you know projects you're working on or anything uh, let us know we can get that out to our audience and then we can update your guest profile as well we want to try to keep our community keep current Sometimes people listen to these things, you know, a couple of years after the fact, so uh, they can check you out and what's going on. So thank you awesome. so much for your time. Awesome. Um, you. I look forward to the next time we get a chance to meet in person or talk again. Um, yes. I really appreciate you sharing with us, um, getting to learn from you. And 
Uh, I encourage everybody out there that if you're not following Joma already on LinkedIn, if you hear this, um, go find her there and please donate to the cause. Uh, we'll have some links to that on our webpage as well once the episode airs. Thank you so much and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.